I'm excited that you're here today. We are continuing a series called Uncovered that we began last week. Uh, hopefully you liked it. You came back. So I guess I didn't offend you too, uh, too much. Uh, I heard that some of you were a little bit uncomfortable because of the topic that we were discussing. However, I will tell you that you weren't uncomfortable as a lady named Chris Turner. She translates with sign language everything that I say on a Sunday morning so that her son can understand what I'm saying. And particularly the portion in Song of Solomon about climbing the palm trees and taking hold of the breasts. She had a little bit of a challenge with, with that one. And, uh, not intentionally, but I stumped her. I, hopefully you weren't too uncomfortable today. We're going to be diving into a topic that I think is going to be extremely helpful for many of you. As well, we believe that the month of April is going to be so helpful and so encouraging to you. We're trying to equip you the best that we can when it comes to relationships, when it comes to your own life and sexuality and all that stuff. We're hosting two conferences. Uh, we're hosting our first ever singles conference this Saturday. And I think, I think, it's, the, I think it's the first singles conference ever, ever in the history of the world. I've never even heard of one before. And we, So congratulations, you're the first one to have a singles conference. And we're doing that this Saturday. If you are single, divorced, whatever, I want you to be here. I'm going to be here. It is going to be fantastic. You're going to be blessed. And you're going to be served well on Saturday. We have a couple great guest speakers that I think are really going to minister well to you. And then in two weeks, we have our um, Uncovered Marriage Conference uh, with uh, B.J. Thompson. I, you probably need to come to that. You probably should come to that. No. B.J. Thompson, who leads a ministry called Build a Better Us, is going to be here in two weeks. It's going to be, it's going to be fantastic. My wife and I, we're going to be there. It's going to be, uh, hopefully, life-transforming uh, for us and for you. So it's going to be a great month. Today, our scripture passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. It says this, I wish that all were as my, I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And then verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried and betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And one other passage we will be in today, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 56, beginning in verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Are you ready, church? Yes. I'm ready. All right. Thank you. This is a reading of God's word. You may be seated. I still, I still remember, um, I still remember my first relationship ever. Uh, do any, do you, uh, any of you remember your first relationship ever? Remember, perhaps for you, it was in kindergarten, um, maybe, maybe middle school. I remember, I remember my, the first relationship that I ever had was in the sixth grade, and it was uh, with a girl, my girlfriend. Her name was Danielle Rector. And I just thought she was the most amazing thing I had ever seen and I had ever laid eyes on. 
I was so infatuated by her. I mean, she was so beautiful, and I just knew that she had to be my girlfriend. And because this was my uh, first relationship, and it was uncharted waters, I didn't know exactly what to do, so I did what any sixth grade boy would do. I asked my best friend if he would walk over and ask if she wanted to be my boyfriend. And so he, would, he walked, walked over and spoke with her and said, hey, Ethan wants you to be his uh, girlfriend. Will you do that? What do you think? He, he walks back over. He walks back over, and he said, she said yes. I'm like, I'm like, amazing. I have a girlfriend. And then, interestingly enough, um, I went for the next four weeks without ever saying a word to her. Um, I thought that it was like, you know, you're just on the playground, you know, and you just show off, and, you know, you look good, and then that's kind of how, like, uh, it's supposed to go down. And she decided that she would return the favor and sent one of her friends over to me and said, she no longer wants to be your girlfriend. And that is how that went down. Um, I, I don't know about you, um, but I, I grew up in a culture. I grew up in a culture where essentially you were taught that until you have a relationship, until you get to marriage, until you finally find your soulmate and that romantic part, until that time, you were just going to be incomplete. You were just going to be incomplete. So hold on. As long as you have to, hang in there, do whatever you have to do to win her over, to figure it out. But one day, uh, you will not have to live in the miserable state of being single. One day, you will be complete and have someone for you. That's kind of the culture that I grew up in. And I remember as I was single, um, living single until I was 25, I remember being the brunt of several jokes I remember feeling often like the odd man out. I remember feeling getting picked on at weddings. Has anybody been there before? Um, I've got a friend, and he told me this story one time. He, he was so fed up with going to weddings where inevitably there's a little old lady, nice old lady. She's got good intentions, and she says, um, it's okay, honey. Your day's coming soon. He got so fed up with that that whenever he went to funerals and he saw little old ladies, he would say, it's okay. Your day's coming soon. Yeah. Now, I do, not, I do not encourage you to do, Pastor Ethan did not tell you to do that next time you go to a funeral, but for whatever reason, if you're single, you are oftentimes treated like as, as if you've got the plague or something, like if something is wrong with you, people begin to treat you poorly, and you begin to think, man, maybe there is something wrong with me. Maybe there is something. Maybe, maybe I'm not smart enough. Maybe I'm not pretty enough. Maybe I'm not a tall, tall enough. And then the longer time grows, the more you continue to feel like an outcast. And then all of your friends get married, and you can't help but think that maybe time is running out for you. And then you get mad at God and say, God, what's the deal here? Why are you blessing all these other people? All my friends are getting married, and I'm not getting married. What's, what's the problem, God? Why aren't you blessing me? It feels like you're kind of being unjust to me. And there's a tendency specifically in the church to treat singleness as if it is some kind of inferior state of being. But what we're going to do today and what we've been trying to do as a church over the last couple years is to rewrite the narrative on what God thinks and what God views about those who are single. And I 
strongly believe that what God thinks and the way that God views singleness is completely counterintuitive to the way that most of us and I would say most of churches think about this. Now, here are some interesting statistics. For the first time since the Bureau of Labor Statistics have been tracking numbers since 1976, there are now more single Americans than those who are married in our country. This is the first time ever in the history of our country that the number of single adults has outnumbered the number of married adults. According to Public Radio International, right at 50.2%, just barely across the line, there are now more single adults than married adults in America. In 1950, the estimated percentage was 22% of our country were single. It's a culturally shifting season that we are in. As well, this is incredibly important for us. Based on our church survey we did a couple months ago, right at half, close to 50% of all adults who come to the Bridge Church are single. Right at 50%. And it's interesting to me, this is just a really cool thing that I have to throw out there. The, most, um, the least likely demographic in America to attend a church on a Sunday morning are single adults between the ages of 18 and 28, and we've got a church that's completely full of them. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing what God has done. We praise God for that. And this issue of singleness um, isn't a new issue. It's interesting to me that this has been a topic of debate, or this has been something that has been challenging for a few millennia. See, every culture treats marital status in different ways. So for instance, if you lived in the medieval ages, if you lived um, back a few hundred years ago when the Catholic Church was at its peak, you would have been seen, if you were single, you would have been seen as superior to those who were married. A single state of being, the celibate life, was supposed to be, was uh, idealized in the Catholic Church as a supreme state of being, and you were ultimately a more spiritual person because you decided to use your singleness for God and to not uh, engage in being uh, married, and therefore you had the ability to be priest, you had the ability to be a father, you even had the ability to perhaps be a cardinal or a pope, and the only way to do that is if you were single, you were elevated. It's interesting, though, that in our day, specifically in the evangelical church, you aren't elevated, you're actually uh, pushed down if you are single. It's no longer seen as a superior state, it's seen as an inferior state. Do you see how culture is always moving and shifting? Culture is always moving and culture is always shifting, which means we look at the scriptures to understand what God has to say about it. Are you with me? Is, any, is anybody with me this morning? And I'm, I'm, I, I told you before, like, the more encouragement I get, the shorter that I preach, because then I don't have to act like you don't understand what I am talking about. Culture is always shifting, and the issue of singleness is not a new issue, and the issue that we have to work through is to not treat this as it is some kind of plague, like it is inferior, that this is some woeful state of being. We have to stop treating single people like they're JV somehow in God's kingdom, like one day they're going to get to varsity, but for now they're just poor, miserable JV, and maybe they'll get good enough to get varsity one day. Stop treating people like they're going to be cursed forever and live alone with 40 cats and have a miserable existence for the rest of their life. We've got to stop that. And I do, amen, amen, amen. And I do, um, before I completely dive in, I do want to say as well that 
Um, many of you walk into the room today with different emotions. Um, many of you walk into the room today and um, have different ways in which you feel about this. Some of you, it was a hard Sunday for you to be here because you knew the topic that we were going to be addressing, and it's hard for you to be here. Some of you walk in the room today with a level of hurt from things that have happened to you on this issue, perhaps pain, perhaps even shame. Some of you, you're just frustrated. You're frustrated. You don't know what to think. You feel like you're isolated. Fear, perhaps, is kind of dominating your life. Uh, You're plagued by fear. You're plagued by the future. You don't know exactly what's going to happen, and even you feel unseen at times. You feel unseen and forgotten in the church. You feel like if you're just a single person, then you're never going to be valued, never going to have leadership opportunities in the church. And some of you, you're just confused. You're just confused. You don't know what to think. It's like, I don't know what to think about this. I don't know how to feel about this. I don't know what God has for me. And I recognize today that I stand up here today as a married guy with three kids. So I recognize that I don't share the same experience that everybody in the room has experienced And I don't understand exactly what it's like to be in your shoes, but God does, and he's got a word for you today. He's got a word for you today. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to dive in, 1 Corinthians 7. It's interesting to me that Paul and the church was dealing uh, with the same questions that we are dealing with 2,000 years uh, later. It's interesting that they have the same questions that we had. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, beginning in verse 7. He says this, I wish that all were as I myself am. He is undoubtedly, undeniably referring to the single state of being. He is an unmarried man. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God. Everybody say gift. (coughs) That was good. Way to go. Each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another, And to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Wow. I mean, this would have been unprecedented for Paul to say this in the first century. This viewpoint would have been as rare as a unicorn. No one says this in the first century, especially since he is a Jewish man. To encourage singleness would have been so radical because in his culture, marriage was viewed as obligatory. (coughs) Singleness wasn't something that was ever encouraged or celebrated. It would have been regarded as an inferior form of existence. In Paul's day, they created categories for people in which they would put people in. They would put people in the marriage that that were married in the marriage category and those who were single in the single category and divorced and you go on and so on and so forth. They had a tendency to put people in boxes based on their culture, based on their class, based on their color. Good thing we don't struggle with that anymore. Uh, They would have a tendency to put people in a box based on their ethnicity, based on their socioeconomic status, based on their gender, uh, based on their marital status, you just, based on their age, you just name it, they had a tendency to put people in boxes. But here's what I want to say to everybody in the room today. All people, all people, all people are made in the image of God, in the image of God, and share 
the same beauty and value and dignity and worth, regardless of the box that people try to put you into today. I just think somebody that's been put in a box today needs to say amen to that. I mean, if you've been put in a box in your life and people have tried to corner you and put you in a category and treat you differently, I think you need to say amen to that. God doesn't put people in boxes. He doesn't. Every single person is made in the image of God. And we fall increasingly close to operating like the world when we begin to put people in boxes as well. If you are single here today, hear me clearly. You are not damaged goods. You are God's design. You are God's child. You are valued and loved and adored by the God of the universe. And by the way, there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God, which means your marital status has zero significance for how God views you. Your marital status has zero significance for the value and the identity that you have in Jesus Christ. Zero. Did he say zero? He said zero. Zero percent. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. And your significance was settled on the cross 2,000 years ago when Jesus went to a cross for you, regardless of what box you were in, regardless of what your past was, regardless of what your status was, regardless of what your ethnicity is. Jesus went to a cross for everybody. He went to the cross for you. And we have to be mindful not to operate and to act like Jesus died or Jesus values a certain kind of person or a certain kind of community of people. Jesus didn't go to the cross to create a club. Jesus went to the cross to create a community. All people of all nations, of all tribes, of all tongues in one body called the church. That's what you and I are, the church. And I love the way that Paul uses this phrase. Um, I had you repeat it because it's important. He said, but each has his own gift from God. Here's what that means. Your marital status today is a gift from God. Your marital status is a gift from God. You're like, well, what is a gift even? Um, It's the same word. It's charisma. It's the same word that is used for other spiritual gifts in the New Testament. So spiritual gifts like teaching, spiritual gifts like mercy, generosity, healings, uh, tongues, the interpretation of tongues, the working of miracles, discerning of spirits. Um, Do I need to go on? Administration. Um, All these spiritual gifts... The same word is used for this, which means that your marital status is a gift from God. Um, Why do we have a tendency to want to give the gift back to God? You know, we, God, I I didn't want that for Christmas. If you could take that back, I want a different gift. Like, like if, you ever, if you ever get a Christmas gift and somebody hands that back, to, uh, or you hand that, that back, you should, shame on you. You should n- never do that, especially if they're Jordans. Somebody gives you, like, Jordan 3s, and you wanted the white instead of the black, and you give them the black. But no, don't ever do that. Like, I mean, just take the Jordans. You never, you never give Jordans back. I mean, like, take, it's a gift. Take, take the gift. It is, it is a good, Alex had a couple amens over there. Like, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a gift, but we oftentimes don't. Um, treat our marital status as if it is a a gift. And Paul says that um, your marital status is a gift, which means, to be clear, it's not a God. 
All right? Anytime you take a gift and make it a God, it, things go badly. Anytime you take a good thing and make it a God thing, it makes it into a bad thing. He says it's a gift. It's not a God. It is a, a, a gift, which means neither marriage nor singleness is ultimate. Both are gifts from God. Your marital status doesn't make you superior or inferior to anyone. I'll, I'll say it this way. The most important thing about you is not your marital status, but your spiritual status. That's the most important thing about you today. Isn't your marital status, it is your spiritual status. It's if you know the God of the universe. It's if you know the gospel. Has the gospel changed you? Has the good news of what Jesus did on a cross 2,000 years ago changed you? That is the most important thing about you, which means marriage, as good as it is, as beautiful as it is, is not the end goal of humanity. It isn't. It is just a means It is a gift in which God has given. Marriage is a good gift from God, but it isn't fundamental for every believer, which means regardless of whether you are married or single, what's most important about you is the kingdom of God in you and you living for the kingdom of God, regardless if you're married or single. Jesus would say it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Just out of curiosity today, um, what have you been seeking first lately? If you're single and you've been seeking marriage first as a God, then you never get everything else. You have to seek the kingdom first and then all these things will be added unto you. I love the way that Jesus says it in Matthew nineteen twelve. He says this, it's kind of bizarre. For there are eunuchs, you're like, what in the world is that? For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and, get this, there are eunuchs who have uh, made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, let the one who is able to receive this receive this. Why did he say that? Because hardly anybody could receive it. <laughs> hardly anybody could actually understand what he's saying. So let me break it down for you. This is, these are the words of Jesus. What is a eunuch? In ancient culture, a eunuch was someone that would um, choose a celibate life, a single life, to serve under an emperor or a monarch or a king in order to devote oneself to the mission of that king and the mission of that kingdom. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, there are some in his kingdom who are spiritual eunuchs for God's glory. There are some of you here today spiritually who are eunuchs set apart for the kingdom of God as your primary task and purpose. See, the challenge for all of us is that we're more concerned about building our own kingdom than actually building God's kingdom. We set out on our day concerned primarily about how to build, how to construct, how to erect a kingdom for ourselves and our own glory rather than God's kingdom and his glory. But I would remind you today that we are sojourners on this earth. This world is not our home. Peter would tell us that we are aliens in a foreign country. That the, we have, though we have citizenship here and though this is our home, this is not our final home. There is a home to come. Which means what you do, what is most important about what you do in this life is what you do for the kingdom of God. The most important thing that you can do, the the most energy that you have, the most resources that you have, everything that you have exists for Jesus and his kingdom if you were his follower, which means I'm going to ask you to give of your money for his kingdom. I'm going to ask you to give of your time for his kingdom. I'm going to ask you to give of your energy for his kingdom. That's the very best 
thing that you could do with what God has given you. It's for his kingdom. And Jesus says that perhaps there are some of you who are single who have been set apart for me and my kingdom. We're sojourners on this earth. I love what Paul goes on to say, a little bizarre, but he goes on and he says this in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 9. He says, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. So he gives a little caveat here. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. What does that mean? Does that mean what I think it means? Yes, it means what you think it means. Paul gives one caveat to singleness, to the gift of singleness. I think this is perhaps, you could say, a little bit of a litmus test to determine whether or not you have the gift of marriage or the gift of singleness. I know that many of you are here today and you're confused. You're like, ah, I kind of like the idea of marriage. Do I have the gift of marriage? Do I have the gift of singleness? I don't really know. How should I know? Well, Paul gives one small indicator. He says that not everyone has the gift of singleness, and one of the ways that you know that is that maybe it's been a few weeks, maybe it's been a few months, maybe it's been a few years, and you're like, Jesus, I'm all yours, I'm going to be single. But uh, for whatever reason, you continue to burn with passion. The word passion here does not mean lust. It's not a bad desire. It's not a harmful desire. It is a good desire. It is your sex drive. It's your sexual drive that you get when you were born, when you were made in the image of God. It is how God has wired you. And if you have done your best... If you have done your best to give Jesus your all and try to live single and say, maybe Jesus has the celibate life for me, but you just can't control your passions and the drive that God has given you, perhaps you don't have that gift and perhaps you should pursue marriage. And Paul says that it is a good thing. It's a good thing that you should consider that. Now, let me just mention a quick rabbit trail. Passion and sexual passion is never justification for compromise and having sex right now. I go, e- e- you know, this is, a, this is a good desire that I have. This is, I should be able to fulfill that desire. I need to fulfill that desire in order to be happy, in order to have all my needs met. I need to be able to do this. That's not God's design for you. God never says that you should just completely uh, fulfill all the passions and all the di- desires that you have. He says that you should submit those passions to him. What that means is that you're not a victim to your passions. And there's some of you make excuses like, well, um, I'm just a victim to my passions. I need to, we need to sleep around. I need to have sex. I need to do this because I need to feel fulfilled in my life. No, you don't. Um, the way that, um, I love the way that Peter says it. First uh, Peter 4, 1 and 2, I'll read it for you. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves, it's battle language, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Here's, some of you are lost. I'd ask you to raise your hand, but then you would feel weird. Um, some of you are lost. Here's, let me break it down for you as clearly as I can. When you were born... You are given, you are created with desires and emotions and feelings in your mind, in your body that you have because you are human. Now, the unfortunate thing about those desires is those desires, 100%, have been tainted and bent by sin. The issue with us isn't that we are like, 
good people trying to find a good God. The issue with us is that we are born bad people with desires that are completely turned in on ourselves. All right, that's what, it, that's what it means to be born into the world that we are born in. You're like, Ethan, I don't believe you. You don't have kids. That's why you, that's why you don't, you just have kids, and then you will learn quickly that their desires are turned in on themselves, and they are selfish as the day is long. That's, that's, that's how you're born. Um, then uh, Paul says, um, once you come to know Christ, once you find Christ, you get a new spirit in you. This is amazing. This is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that comes and actually resides in you. This is what uh, Scripture calls the new temple in you, like the old temple in the Old Testament. Now you have a new temple in you, which means you have new desires that come in you. You have a new spirit in you. You have a new mind, new heart, new passions that are... But your fight, your life is still at war with the old passions that seem to poke their head every now and then. In the fight, the war is not giving in to every desire that you have. Did you know that every desire that you have isn't good for you? I mean, when's the last time you went to an all-you-can-eat buffet and you're like, that was just a bad idea. Like, why did I, like, I was so hungry. I thought I could eat everything. And why did I, why did I do that? It's not, every desire that you have isn't a good desire. And what scripture commands us to do and calls us to do is submit those desires to God. God, is this a good desire? Is this the desire that you would have for me? Or is this a desire that's going to wreck my life? Is this a desire that's going to wreck my family? Is this a desire that's going to wreck relationships? Is this a desire that's going to kill uh, my job, that's going to kill my career, that's going to just destroy my life? We submit these desires to God. And the Spirit comes in. The Spirit moves. You follow the Spirit. Galatians 5.16. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh by walking in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's walking in the Spirit. You, know, you now walk with new passions and new desires, which means just because you have passions and desires, you shouldn't submit to them, but rather should submit to God and what God has for you. You're like, Ethan, that's hard. I know. Life is hard. And that's part of, the, it's part of the process. It's hard, but you've got the Holy Spirit in you. You've already got the victory in you. and God has given you everything necessary to do what he's called you to do already. All right. Now, that was a little rabbit trail. Back, back in the text, verse 35. He goes on and he says this. Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. How many of you would just like to be free from anxieties, by the way? Anybody in the room? I kind of would like, I would kind of, I got a few anxieties right now that are just kind of paralyzing me that I would love to just be over by now. I want you to be free from anxieties. He says, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, not bad things, just things of the world, how to please his wife. By the way, if you are married and you are a husband, your job is, is to please your wife. Amen. All the women are supposed to say, preach it, pastor. All right, verse, all right, ladies, just hold on. His time's coming too. Verse 34, verse 34, don't get ahead of yourselves. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed single woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, not bad things, just worldly things, how to please her husband. Preach. Ladies. <laughs> lady, ladies, those of you who have a husband, you're supposed to please your husband. All right? All right? It's, it's mutual. Verse 35. Different sermon, different day. Verse 35. I say this, speaking about living a single life, 
He says, I say this for your own benefit, for your own good, not to lay any restraint upon you. He's not trying to control you. He's not trying to put you in a box, but he's saying this for your good, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, Paul here demonstrates that there are obvious differences between someone living a single life and someone living a married life. And for the record, he says that there are anxieties that are connected to marriage. And those of you who are single, you're like, anxieties in marriage? I never imagined that there would actually be anxieties in marriage. Listen closely, and I'm being serious as a heart attack. Marriage is not easy. It's, it's good. It's good. It is not easy. It, it is not easy. I mean, it is wonderful, but it is, has its significant share of troubles and heartaches as you try to live this life in the same house, in the same room with another sinner. You put two sinners together, it just is like sometimes makes an ex- explosion. That's, that's why I tell people I've been married for six wonderful years and two not so wonderful years. Because our marriage has had significant challenges. We didn't even think we were going to make it through the first two years. I mean, by God's grace, we were fortunate to be committed to one another rather than just to bail and to give up on it. Those first two years almost did us in, and it's only by God's grace that I'm actually standing here today as a married man. And just so you are aware, over half of all marriages in our country will fail unfortunately, they will. They shouldn't, but they will. So a proper perspective is necessary if you're thinking about marriage and thinking about going into marriage. It isn't as blissful as you may think. It is beautiful, but it isn't always bliss. I love the way that John Piper, when he talks about marriage, and sing, he, says, he says it this way. I love it. There are glories that can only be shown in marriage and... There are glories that can only be shown in singleness. What he means is that there are glories, there are things to be experienced in this life, to be experienced with God, some things that you can only experience in marriage, and there's glories, things that are beautiful that you can experience that are only experienced in singleness. <coughs> You're like, Ethan, <clears throat> I'm single. I'd love to know what some of those glories are. All right, now let me help you. Let me help you. First of all, a few that come to mind, freedom. Freedom. I don't, I don't mean that like in a, in a, in a joking sense, I'm not, uh, but literally like freedom. Like there is a level, there is an unprecedented level of freedom that you have as a single person. Now, I granted that not all of you who are single um, I mean, have other obligations as well. Some of you are single and you have children and I recognize that your freedom is much more limited. Um, but for the average person who is single, there isn't an obligation to a spouse. There is a level of freedom, especially if you don't have any children. There is an unprecedented level of freedom that you experience, that you have the ability to live in that way. Another opportunity or capacity. You have opportunity and you have capacity to do things that just a married person doesn't have the ability to do. As a husband, for me and my family, I have to be at home at least four or five nights a week. Like, I have to be at home. I have to be inside my house. I have to be around my girls. I have to be around my wife. If not, I'm going to completely bail and do a terrible job and fail as a father. I have an obligation in which I need to be in those four walls, leading and loving my family if I expect to have a successful 
um, family. There are ministry opportunities galore. I mean, there are meetings, there are Bible studies, there are pastor's events, there are conferences, there are like everything under the sun that I could be going to every night of the week, but I am obligated to my family, which is a good thing, but that limits my opportunity and my capacity to be able to do other things. Are you with me? The other thing I would say, another glory of being single is intimacy with God. I'll say, try to say it clearly. It doesn't mean if you're married, you don't have the ability to have intimacy with God. But if you are single, you don't have another companion in which to demonstrate and to fulfill intimacy with, with which means your primary means and your primarily primary outlet, your primary relationship in which to foster intimacy is with God himself, which means you have the ability to seek God and to pursue God. You you aren't constrained by a spouse in order to make them happy, in order to please them, as the text says. You have 100% of your energies to be able to pursue God and to know God. You have the opportunity perhaps to even know God in a greater way. There are glories to be understood and to be experienced. And the last one that I would say is devotion to kingdom work. You have a privilege, you have an opportunity, you have a benefit to be devoted to kingdom work even more than I do. There are countless single adults who have done amazing ministry all over the world, missionaries, church planners, people that have used the gift that God has given them in their singleness to live for his kingdom and to be laser-focused on what Jesus would have them do. It's a beautiful opportunity. And there are glories to be shown in marriage, and there are glories to be shown in singleness. And Paul, at the end of the day, I love what he says here. He wants to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul wants you to be a person today that is devoted to the Lord, and if at all possible, to be undivided in that devotion to him, to have a singular devotion, to have a singular focus to give yourself to the Lord and to invest in him. I'll say it this way. The most important person in your life is not your spouse, but your savior. The most important person in your life is not your spouse or a future spouse. The most important person in your life is your savior. This is true of all of us, regardless of what our marital status is. It is about Jesus. And the reason that many of us, the reason that I have such a hard time with relationships is because the reason that I have a hard time with my marriage is because I want my spouse to be my savior. I want my spouse to be my savior. I I need Ashley to save me. I need Ashley to give me meaning. I need Ashley to give me an identity. I need Ashley to give me significance. I need Ashley to give me pleasure. I I need her to save me in order so that I can feel validated in life. But logically, that just doesn't make sense. Your spouse doesn't have the ability to save themselves, much less yourself. Like the most important person in your life is not your spouse, though they are important. The most important person is your Savior. This really hit home for me as a single adult in college. I went through all of my college years um, single. I didn't get married until I was 25, several years after I was out of college. I believe I graduated when I was 21. Um, I remember being in college and having several failed relationships. You know, Ethan, how could you ever have a failed relationship? I know. I don't understand how I could ever have a failed I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. I had several. Um, and I remember walking out of each of these failed relationships wondering why. Like, like why? Like, what's the deal, God? Like, why, 
Why am I going through this? Why, why can't you make this work? Why can't you help me figure this out? Why do I have to keep going through these failed relationships? God, why won't you just give me someone that I could have that would be my spouse? And I remember the day vividly. I remember God speaking to me in that moment and saying, you want a spouse more than you want a savior. You don't, you don't really love me chiefly. You want someone else to love chiefly above me. And do you know that God usually doesn't give you your idols? God will give you himself. God rarely gives you your idols. He'll never give you everything that you're thinking and wanting and desiring if you aren't seeking him first. I remember in that moment feeling and thinking God saying, what if it was only me? What if you only had me? Would I be enough for you? And in that moment, I prayed one of those prayers, and I told God, I said, God, okay, if this is what you want for me, if you want me to be single for the rest of my life, I will commit to being single for you and pursuing you and not have any concerns or any ideas about marriage. And I was legit. You know, sometimes you do like backdoor prayers to God. You're like, God, I just promise you, like, if you just want the one thing, God, I will give everything to you. And you're like, it wasn't like one of those... Like, you can't, you, can, you can't backdoor God. Like, he, he kind of sees through it. He's like, I'm not giving you that. That's not, that's not genuine. That's not. But I remember being genuine. I remember being genuine, being like, this is an idol in my life, so God, I give up this idol, and only you. And I, from that moment, literally, I didn't tell anybody, but I literally planned to be single for the rest of my life. And it was God in his timing who brought a spouse to me, though it wasn't something that I was looking for. I was waiting God, waiting on God, pursuing God, following God, trying not to follow and pursue an idol. Have you ever, if you're single today, have you ever prayed that prayer to God? God, if this is what you have for me, I'll be single the rest of my life. Have you ever prayed that prayer? If you don't have the ability to pray that prayer, then you perhaps have an idol that is above God. See, the most important person in your life is not your spouse, it is your Savior. And the only way... The only way to have satisfaction in singleness is if your satisfaction is tied to something other than your marital status. That was a little deep. Did you get that? The, the only way to have satisfaction in singleness is if your satisfaction is tied to something other than your marital status. Um, so where do we get that? Isaiah 56, our other passage for today that I'll close with. I love it. It says this. Isaiah 56.3. Let not the foreigner who is the refugee, who is the immigrant. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Don't say that. And let not the eunuch say, this is the single person again, let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. Um, the, the eunuch was someone who was single, that was devoted to the Lord. The foreigner is someone who is a refugee, who is an immigrant. These people felt like they were ostracized. They felt like they were outcast. They would go through seasons and just feel dry. If you're single today and you, you feel like you're in a, a dry season, God's speaking to you today. If you're struggling and if you're wondering and if you're hoping, you feel like this person, that they're a dry tree, that there just isn't any water, that there just isn't any nutrients, and you feel like you're completely dry season, God says to you, let not the single person say, I'm a dry tree. God says, don't say that today. Don't say that. Don't believe that. 
Don't believe that lie. Verse 4. This is what he says. Verse 4. I love this. For thus says the Lord. Anytime you see a thus says the Lord, it's important. Thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, to the single person who keeps my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant. It just means seeking first the kingdom of God. Verse 5. This is crazy. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. This is God's promise to you today. In this culture, your name was everything. Your name was your legacy. Your name was your lineage. Your name was your property. Your, la- your name was your, your wealth. It was everything. The eunuch, the single person, doesn't have much of a name. Doesn't have a family. Doesn't have really much to call their own property. Much of a lineage or much of a legacy to come. The eunuch, the single person, will die without ever being married, without ever creating a family. have a tendency to feel kind of like a dry tree. God says, don't ever let that come out of your mouth. Don't ever speak like that. Don't ever believe that lie. I will give you a name better than sons and daughters. I'll give you a name better than sons and daughters, better than a family that you could imagine, better than a family that you could have here. I've got a name for you that's even better. And he says, and by the way, I'll give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. An everlasting name. A name that will have significance long into eternity. A name that will have significance long into heaven. heaven. A name that will never be able to be cut off. A name that no one will ever be able to forget. And I will give you that name. I want you to believe today this. That everything you need today for joy you already have in Christ. Everything that you need today for joy, you already have in Christ, which means Christ is enough for you today. Whether you're married, whether you're single, we got married people that aren't happy here today. We got married people that are miserable today. We got married people that don't know how they're going to keep going, don't know how they're going to get through it. We got single people here today that are miserable. They don't know how they're going to make it. They don't know how they're going to keep going on. They're confused. They're frustrated. You have everything that you need today joy you already have in Christ which means God isn't holding out on you God isn't holding out on you God is positioning you God is putting you exactly where he wants you to be God's plan is true in your life he's looking at you he's watching you he knows you you're not a mistake you're not a mishap you are exactly what he wants you to be for him and his kingdom Jesus is Jesus is a better lover He's the better lover. He's the lover you've always longed for. He's the intimacy that you've always needed. He's the companion and the friend that you've always looked for. It's in Jesus. He's better. He's better. You gotta believe that today. You gotta believe that. You gotta hold on to that. The truth will transform you. The truth will change you. Allow you to experience something you've never experienced before. Pray with me. Father, we praise you today that you're not holding out on us. We're not a mistake. No one in the room today is a mishap. 
No one in the room today is outside of your hand, is outside of your providence, is outside of your plan and your mission that you have for us. We're in your hand. So God, we choose to believe today that Christ is better. Christ is better than anything this world could afford us. Christ is better than anything this world could offer us. And so we choose him today. We choose him and we love him and we believe in him. Thank you, God, for the grace and the gift that you have given us. Pray that you would encourage us and help us today where we're at. We say this in Jesus' good name. Amen.